Well, hello, Grace Point. Try that again. Hello, Grace Point. Okay, I heard every section except that section. I don't know what that is over there. But anyways, hey, we wanted to update you guys. We are officially underway with construction in a horizon construction. Thank you, Jesus. Our uh, old auditorium, the old student center is gone. And, um, and uh, the demo team uh, came out and um, they demoed. They did what I would love to do. But I'm not paid to do that. But when they remove, were removing walls, accidentally, the Wi-Fi connecting our old building to this building was severed. And it was just early this morning, it was put back together. Hours and hours. So thank those who helped on that, and, or we wouldn't be online, and there would be a lot of problems here. But anyways, that's what happens when you demo, right? You never know what's behind those walls. How many of you have dated and or married someone completely opposite than yourself. I got my hand up. You married someone opposite of yourself. Okay. Well, they say at dating that opposites attract, and if you're not careful when you get married, opposites can attack. Can attack. Can attack. Because when you were dating, you're like, oh, he's so funny. I just love his sense of humor. He makes me laugh. And then you get married, and you're like, He's so irritating. Does he never take anything serious? When you're dating her, you're like, she's so organized. She's so put together. She's so this and planned out. And now you're like, she's a control freak. (laughs) If you're not careful, opposites can attack. Candy and I are opposites. Uh, She is an introvert uh, to everyone but me few close friends, but, uh, but to me, she's, she's not an introvert, but everybody else, she, she is. I'm an extrovert. I gain energy from people. People drain my wife very quickly. Um, she is a morning person. I am not a morning person. This, what you see on Sunday, is called adrenaline, all right? I've been prayed up, prepared up, and I'm adrenaline. But uh, early in our marriage, I, you know, while we were dating, I never woke up next to her, and, and I only saw her when I was awake. And now we're married, and at 6.30 in the morning, she's jumping on the bed on her knees going, oh, we'll just talk about this and talk about that, talk about this. And I'm like, go away. You know, I'm like, are you mad? Are you mad at me? No, I'm not awake to have this conversation. Nine o'clock, her eyes are closed, and I'm like, let's talk, and... It's a different, very, very challenging. Um, she's a quick processor. I'm a slower processor. I like to think things through and organize and think of all the questions and stuff. And early in our marriage, she was like, I, we need to make a decision. I'm like, honey, I am, I'm still thinking. And I still remember this. She goes, we don't have time for you to think anymore. <laughs> this is new information as newlyweds. Now, if you have married someone just like you, this saying is for you. If both of you are the same, then only then one of you is not necessary. <laughs> I'm just teasing. <laughs> don't, don't, don't on the way home from church just, you know, Rochambeau, who's not necessary? Here's the thing with our differences and how we're unique and different is that Satan wants to use our differences to divide us. God wants to use our differences 
to unite us and to empower and, and, and to really help us work even better together. We're in this vow series, the vow series. We're looking at these different vows, different promises. Here's the first one, the vow of priority, that I promise that God will be my first priority and my spouse will be my second. Last week's vow was the vow of pursuit, the vow of pursuit that I promise to always pursue my spouse. We don't just pursue them, woo them, court them, and then we get them and then we drop them. No, we continue to pursue our spouse. Today's promise is this, a promise of partnership. It's this promise. I promise our marriage will be about we and not about me. I promise that our marriage is going to be about we, not about me. If you get this promise right, you're going to have a healthy, healthy marriage. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 19, if you would. We'll get there in a moment. Matthew chapter 19. As we did the last two weeks, we'll do it again today, and we'll finish it next week. We're going to begin in Genesis at the very beginning when God launched this thing called marriage. And we've been looking at this verse. God says, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. We looked at the word leave, what that means. Last week we looked at the word united, but there's two Hebrew pictures in the Hebrew lang language. We looked at the second picture in the definition of united about pursuing and pursuing hard. Today we're going to look at the united, the first part of that Hebrew picture to help us define what it means. It means to cling and to adhere. It means to glue together, that we're to, to leave and launch on our own and to pursue and then glue to our spouse. Now, I remember as a, as a young youth pastor, and I worked with my father-in-law for five years, and I remember as a young youth pastor, him explaining this glue process, and he said this, that if you have a formica countertop, it is glued to the wood underneath. But if you want to change out the formica and you start taking it off, it does not come off on, in one single piece. It is shattered. It is splintered. It comes off in little pieces. Why? Because of the glue, because of the adhesive. And that's what happens. And there's pain in divorce when what is glued is now separated. It doesn't come, up, come apart easy. It comes shattered. And it comes off in pieces. Now, I fully understand that the, the issue of divorce is very sensitive and there's pain there, and there's pain behind the pain of divorce. But when Jesus was asked a question about divorce, Jesus brings up Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, in his answer about divorce. So we'll pick up with me, join me in chapter 19, verse 4. Verse 4. Jesus said, okay, haven't you read, talking to religious leaders who obviously had read it, haven't you read, he replied, that, that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female, 
It's not an accident that Jesus referring to marriage is saying, let's go back to the very beginning. And God made men and women for marriage, verse 5, and said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. End of quote. Jesus now gives commentary on this. Verse 6. They are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. They have been glued together, husband and wife. What God has joined together, glued together, let no one separate. So let me give you God's design. In God's design, marriage is a covenant, it's not a contract. Marriage is a covenant, not a contract. Those are two completely different ideas. We operate in a world that views marriage as a contract. All right, if you're taking notes, a contract is based upon mutual distrust. If you've ever rented an apartment, okay, you rented a building, you rented whatever, it, you have to have a contract. Doesn't matter how much background checks that you have, doesn't matter if, you know, if you, they, you like the person and you like them and the, everybody likes each other, a piece of paper is still pulled out and a contract is formed. And it's an arrangement, it's a 50-50 arrangement, that if you're going to rent, you promise to pay on time and you promise not to damage what you're renting. And you have an expectation of I'm gonna give my money and I'm not gonna, you know, blow up my apartment and make, put holes in it. I'm gonna do my part. There's an expectation from the owner that the owner will do what he has promised and provide the services that he is required to provide. And when there's a problem, there's an issue that needs repair, that they would fix it in, in a due time. It's a contract. And you write it down on a piece of paper because of mutual distrust. Like, I hope they do their part, but I'm not right, quite sure. But I have this piece of paper just in case. In God's design... Marriage is much greater than a piece of paper. It's a covenant. And here's, here's a covenant. A covenant is based upon mutual commitment. Mutual commitment. In the ancient Israeli wedding ceremony, and I, years ago I did a deep dive into that whole history of an Israeli a wedding ceremony. There's so many things in Scripture and even prophecy about the Lord coming back and all that. It's all in the ceremony. Part of the ceremony is when they're making their vows, the rabbi, or whoever's doing the, the, the officiating, would take the groom's hand and on the palm, take a knife and gently cut onto the flesh and blood would appear. Not, it's not gushing, but there would be blood appear. Then he'd take the bride's hand and do the same thing, and he would join them together. Their hands are united. Their blood is intermingling. And then the rabbi would take a piece of cloth and tie them together. That was a picture of, this is a covenant 
relationship. That's the meaning of the word covenant. It means a cutting, a binding agreement. You are bound together, and it's with a picture of blood. Now, I'm not a blood guy, all right? I, I don't do blood, and praise God for all you doctors and nurses, all right? But God is a picture-giving God, and he's talking about this binding agreement sealed with blood. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, they gathered, gathered at the Last Supper, and he gave them bread. They broke it. Then he, Jesus took the wine. Before he passed it around, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood that would be poured out for you. These older teenage young men were like, I have no idea what he's talking about. They would come to realize that when he's talking about his blood, he meant his body would be broken and bleeding. And Jesus said, I will be the first one I am 100% in to make a binding commitment for those who choose to follow me. This is a new covenant, a new testimony. You got the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Old Covenant, the new covenant, symbolized by the shedding of blood. Now, I would encourage anybody listening to my voice that you are not married, but you are currently living together. I'm going to tell you this from a heart that says I, I, I truly want God's best for you that God's blessing on your life and relationships. Let me encourage you, if you are living together and you're practicing married things sexually, please stop. I want God's blessing in your life. If this is a person, you know, that you believe God has given you, get married. And I've heard this more recently. Well, in God's eyes, we're married. No, you're not. Israeli marriages were always public. It was documented. There was a registry so that they would know the family and and all that. There's no, we're married in God's eyes. That is justifying something that is not from God. My question is, how bad do you want God's blessing? Because if you're practicing doing married things sexually and the relationship ends, you're then going to be practicing divorce, and all the pain that goes with it. Follow after God. Do the right thing according to God, not our culture, but God and his word, and get into a covenant married relationship. See, a contract marriage is protecting me. That's, the, that's kind of the whole purpose. I'm going to get into this marriage, but I'm going to protect me. A covenant marriage is I want to bless and protect the we. Okay, let me say that again. A contract marriage is protecting me. A covenant marriage is I want to bless and protect the we. It's not a 50-50 relationship. It's 100% and 100%. It's not... I'll do my part if you do your part. That's a contract. That's not a covenant. That is not a covenant. 
Marriage isn't dividing everything equally. No, it's giving everything you got. All of you. Jesus, when he says this, I'm gonna, this is a new covenant in my blood that is going to be poured out for you. Jesus went to the cross and it wasn't a 50-50 arrangement. 100%, 100% covenant commitment, binding agreement. I will be your savior. I will pay for all of your sins. And when we trust in Jesus, there's nothing we can do to earn that, but we are saying, I am in a relationship with Jesus 100%. And I'm going to follow whatever he says. That's the picture. So the vow of this partnership of of this covenant, of this binding, glued relationship is that I promise that our marriage is going to be about we, not about me. Get this right. If you're unhealthy, you're going to start turning around and going in a healthy direction with God's help and his blessing. Also for your notes is this, a covenant marriage is summarized, biblically summarized, with godly leadership and mutual submission. Mutual submission. Now I'm gonna show a passage on the TV here in just a moment that if you inaccurately understand it and inaccurately apply it, it's gonna lead to pain, abuse, and offense. And our culture is taken this passage, twisted it around to mean something that it was never designed to mean. And if you look at it in context, you can have an accurate understanding. And if you apply it accurately, it's going to lead to blessing, God-honoring, life-giving, healthy marriage. Healthy marriage. So in Ephesians chapter 5, it starts out in this section, talking to husbands and wives, it starts with submit to one another out of reverence, out of respect for Christ. When it's taken out of context, it doesn't start with verse 21. People start it in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And right there with not having the context and understanding the whole picture, you can go, heck no, submit, that's a curse word today. I'm not going to submit to him. No, I'm not going to do that. So in context, what we're seeing is that there is mutual submission. Both husband and wife submit to each other. How this plays out is if you look at the whole context. So it says, okay, wives, and we're going to talk about order and not value, not value, but, but godly order when it comes to marriage. He talks about to wives first, verse 23. It says, for the husband is the head of, of the wife as Christ is head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as, to, as, to the, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Okay, if you don't understand what this is saying, you're like, Whoa, come on, we're in 2023. There's no way I'd want that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's understand the meaning. The meaning of the word head. Husbands, you are the head. What does that mean? 
One word. Responsible. Responsible. In the beginning, God made Adam and he made Eve, brought them together, and they were the first husband and wife. <laughs> You're thinking, yeah, but we're the only husband and wife. That's the start. God's putting the order in place. When they sin, sinned, who sinned first? It was Eve. She took of the forbidden fruit. That her husband, Adam, who was right next to her, who was there, did not protect her, did not try to uh, help her, and said, whoa, 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 don't, don't, no, no, we're going to disobey God. He did nothing. He showed no leadership. So technically, Eve sinned first, but biblically, Adam is held responsible first. Where the picture is the first, the first Adam, and that we are all under sin because of Adam, even though his wife sinned first. Why? Because he's the head. He's responsible. The two shall become one, and in God's economy, the man, when there's a problem, is accountable to God first. Now, in this age of confusion, of what is a woman, we can't even define that as a culture. When it comes to what is a man, which that's not being asked, I have one single word definition. I'm not talking about an adult male. I'm talking, I have one single word is a defining characteristics of a man. It's right there. It's responsible. You may, young men, you may be 25 years old, but you have no responsibility at all. You may be a male, but you are not yet a man until you start taking responsibility for everything in your life that you need to be responsible for. So when it comes to, in God's design, a husband and wife, the wife is to submit, which means to line up under the head of that marriage, of that home, the husband. And when it comes to God, when there's problems, husbands, you are responsible first. In fact, it's interesting, in 1 Peter 3, Peter's talking to uh, couples, and he's say, saying, wives, uh, here, here's how to act if your husband is not a believer. Also, but also in the, in the Greek context, it's not only if he's not a believer or if he's not acting like one. Peter says, wives, here is how you are to act and live with him. And it's a very beautiful, and de very deep, beautiful passage about how to respond to a husband who's not a believer or is not acting like one goes on to say, and likewise, husbands, here's how to react and live with your wife. Either she's not a believer or she's not acting like a believer. And he says, you are to live with her with understanding. You are to live with her with gentleness. You are to treat her with this, this way. And it's very, very special. And then Peter finishes that whole, set, the whole section on marriage and says to the husband, doesn't say to the wife, he says, husbands, live like this, treat your wife like this, lest your prayers not be answered. That's never given to wives, but it's given to a husband. Why? Because he's responsible. Now, wives, you have other challenges. Let's go all the way back to the Garden of Eden. After they sinned, the consequences were, were given out. And when it came to Eve, 
The consequence, and every time every mother has given birth, she should blame Eve for the pain. But in that context, it says this. He uh, says this to, uh, to, to Eve. Your desire will be for your husband. It's not talking you have emotional desire for him. Oh, there he is. Not, not an intimate desire for your husband. Oh, there he is. Uh-uh. The desire that I was talking about in the Hebrew context, you're going to desire to take responsibility. You're going to desire to, to supersede him. And therefore, the conflict in marriage of who's going to be the head. Now, husbands, in verse 25, after he says, submit to each other, and wives here, you need to line up under your husband, just like, you know, you know, the church lines up under Jesus. And then there's a, a long section for husbands. Husbands, love your wives like Christ loved the church. In fact, he died for the church. Husbands, love your wives this way. Here's an example. Here's a standard. Husbands, love your wives. There's an example. There's a standard. Love your wives. Love your wives. Love your. And it's so much so that if you're saying a husband's the head, the wife lines up under that the husband should love his wife so much that in reality, she is the most valuable, precious person in his life because he loves her so much. And when this is done biblically and the wife feels and knows how much she is loved, a strong Good-hearted wife will have no problem with this verse about submitting to line up under. Because, man, if he's treating me so much with so much love, I don't have a problem with that. I got, I got a strong mom. Now, she's in heaven now, but she was a very strong lady who had lots of opinions. But I constantly saw her the way she, she respected my dad lined up underneath my dad. My wife's the same way, which is I'm very, very blessed. Now, men, you are called to lead. You're not called to be a dictator. This is where he takes this out of context, and you're telling your wife, do this for me, do this for me. That's a fool that does that. The worst form of leadership is a leader who is a dictator who's all about control, that has to remind everybody in the office, everybody on the team, that I'm the leader. When you have to declare that, guess what? You're not the leader. You're a very poor leader. It's not talking about a dictatorship because the wise husband leans into his wife and her strengths. Honey, give me advice. What do you think? Because they have a, a special sense from God called the sixth sense. And a smart husband loves his girl, but also listens to her and gains insight. Men, you're called to lead. Now, women, wives, after it says your role, 164 words later, God, in his word, is wrapping up this section of marriage, and it ends with this. Most of it is toward the husbands. And it ends with this, and the wife must respect her husband. And wife's supposed to respect her husband. Now, some of you may be tempted, like, I'll respect him when he earns it. 
Do you want him to love you if you earn it? In this context, it doesn't tell husbands, love your wife if she acts this way or she does this for you. No, it's love your wife. Wives, the same principle applies. It's not respect him if. Respect him if. That's what God's word says. When this happens, there's a powerful cycle that takes place that the husband's loving his bride and the bride is respecting her husband and there's this powerful engine that goes around and the bond comes closer, tighter. The glue is amazing. As each are following the biblical roles and responsibility of how a marriage should work. And it's an absolutely powerful, beautiful, life-giving, God-honoring, healthy marriage. Now, in the audience that we have and where you're at, some of you may be thinking, oh, that's nice, Pastor. My naive pastor who doesn't really understand life in the real world because you're a pastor. You don't, you don't get it. You don't get how hard it is. Let me say a few things. I promise you that the pressure my wife and I face is just like the pressure in life that you face. I promise you that the attacks of Satan on our marriage is similar, if not even more, given my role, the attacks on your marriage. I promise you that Ken and I struggle with sin. We wrestle with what we want to do, how we want to respond, and that flesh is still alive and well, just as it is in your life and in your home and in your marriage. I promise you that our family has faced drama and crises and health concerns and cancer and loss of a child and the death of a loved one and financial stress just like everyone else. But I promise you that the marriage that we have that is life-giving, God-honoring, passionate, healthy relationship is not because I'm a pastor and not because she's a pastor's wife. I promise you that. Because there's a lot of unhealthy pastors that don't have a healthy marriage. The reason why our our marriage is healthy is because we have determined to take God's principles when it comes to marriage and the roles within marriage. To take it seriously and do the hard work. Day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year after year after years, going on 38 years of marriage. We're healthy because we've applied God's truth about marriage to our married life. And I want the same thing for every one of you. It's not because of our role. It's because our choice to be more concerned about the we and not concerned about me. I get it, though. There are times when you and I are not, we don't feel like being nice. 
but we're nice anyways, regardless of how we feel. We, we, we just like you, we don't feel like forgiving, especially if we're still convinced we were right and had a greater case than they did. But we forgive anyways beyond our feelings. When we get irritated, we, we don't feel like very compassionate and romantic. We gotta get past our feelings. We don't feel lots of things, but we do them anyways. Because if you base the decisions in marriage based upon, upon feelings, you guaranteed will be unhealthy and at each other's throat. Because where else in life does that apply? That, well, if moms, you, you get this, I don't feel like feeding this infant again at two o'clock in the morning. I don't feel like it. Good moms do it anyways, again and again and again. But I, I, don't, I don't feel like going into work. No, you keep that up and you won't have a job. Every April, I don't feel like paying my taxes. But we do what's right anyways. Don't base your marriage on feelings. Bottom line is this, last point for your notes is this. Your marriage will be as good as you both decide it will be. Your marriage will be as good as you both decide it will be. It takes both because two become one. If one of you decides, I want to do this, this, and the other one won't, it won't work. It's like the, the circuits are not connected. It requires both. So what's the difference between these two words? Ununited uh, and untied. So is your marriage united or is it untied? It's ravel unraveled. The difference is all where you place the eye. All where you place the eye. A husband who loves his wife biblically is more concerned about her than himself. He'll place her number one. Wives, the same, same way. How are you going to respond to him or respect him? It's all where you place the eye. Because God wants you to have a we covenant relationship. You won't have a covenant relationship, it's about me. Would you pray with me? God, you know the condition of every marriage that's represented in this room. You know uh, those who are not married, uh, what's hindering them or, or uh, their hesit hesitancy of getting married because of pain, divorce, heartache. God, I pray that there would be a reset button in our hearts and we would reset our hearts and our emotions based upon your word and your truth of how you designed the roles in marriage. That there would, I pray that there would be a covenant marriage, not a contract. So God, help restore, revive, redeem marriages here at Grace Point Church. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.